So today we are reading from chapter 11 uh, of the Srimad Bhagavatam and this talks about Lord Krishna's entrance into uh, Dwarka. Sutta Goswami said, upon reaching the border of his most prosperous metropolis known as the country of the Antaras or Dwarka, the Lord sounded his auspicious conch shell, heralding his arrival and apparently pacifying the dejection of his inhabitants. The Lord and Master is back. Uh, the white and fat bold conch shell being gripped by the hand of Lord Krishna and sounded by him appeared to be reddened by the touch of his transcendental lips. It seemed that a white swan was playing in the stems of red lotus flowers. Very poetic way of describing that. The citizens of Dwarka, having heard that sound which threatens fear personified in the material world, began to run towards him fast just to have a long desired audience with the Lord who is the protector of all devotees. And what you need to understand, he is gone for a long time. First of all, travel takes time. On top of that, the entire, the whole uh, preamble to the battle of, uh, you know, the Kurukshetra. Uh, after that, you know, he stayed there, I think, for a month to pacify people who had been aggrieved because of uh, losses in, uh, during, the, during the battle, as an aftermath of the battle. So he stays there. And uh, people are still urging him to stay, but he finally has to go. So he's been away for a long time and people want to go back and see him. Uh, the citizens arrived before the Lord with their respective presentations, offering them to the fully satisfied and self-sufficient one who, by his own potency, incessantly supplies others. These presentations were like the offering of a lamp to the sun. Insignificant. What, I mean, what do you show a lamp to the sun? It's a, it's a symbol. It's, it, it makes no dent or it doesn't enhance the sun's glow whatsoever. In fact, the lamp is completely diminished. But it's the symbol that, you know, in spite of them not being able to offer him what he's, he, he should be offered, it's that symbol of love that they take for him. And that's more than enough for Krishna. These presentations were like the offering of a lamp to a son, yet the citizens began to speak in ecstatic language to receive the Lord, just as wards welcomed their guardians and father. The citizens said, O Lord, you are worshipped by all demigods like Brahma, the four sanas and even the king of heaven. You are the ultimate rest for those who are, who are really aspiring to achieve the highest benefit of life. You are the supreme transcendental Lord and inevitable time cannot exert its influence on you. O creator of the universe, you are our mother, well-wisher, Lord, father, spiritual master and worshipable deity. By following in your footsteps, we have become successful in every respect. We pray therefore that you continue to bless us with your mercy. Means don't go away again, please stay there. So when they say mercy, it's his, he he's always merciful to them because they are citizens. But what they are indirectly saying is that please don't leave us and go away again. Oh, it is our good luck that we have come again today under your protection by your presence. For your lordship rarely visits even the denizens of heaven, yet here you are before us. Now, is it possible for us to look into your smiling face which is full of affectionate glances? We can now see your transcendental form full of all auspiciousness. O oh, lotus-eyed lord, Whenever you go away to Mathura, Vrindavan or Hastinapur to meet your friends and relatives, every moment of your absence seems like millions of years. O oh, infallible one, at that time our eyes become useless, as if bereft of sun. The light of their eyes goes away because they are so into him. O oh, master, 
If you live abroad all the time, then we cannot look at your attractive face whose smiles vanquish all our sufferings. How can we exist without your presence? Upon hearing their speeches, the Lord, who is very kind to the citizens and the devotees, entered the city of Dwarka and acknowledged all their greetings by casting his transcendental glance over them. As Bhogavati, the capital of Nagaloka, is protected by the, is protected by the Naga, so was Dwarka protected by the descendants of Rishni, Bhoja, Madhu, Dasraha, Araha, Kuraka, Andaka, etc., who were all as strong as Lord Krishna. So in his absence, they were the protectors. The city of Dwarkapuri was filled with the opulences of all seasons. There were hermitages, orchards, orchards, flower gardens, parks and reservoirs of water breeding lotus flowers all over. In the city gateway, the household doors and festooned arches along the roads were all nicely decorated with festive signs like plantain trees and mango leaves, all to welcome the Lord. Flags, garlands and painted signs and slogans all combined to shade the sunshine. What they would do is they would send an advance party to announce his arrival so that all the preparations could be made because they wanted to do their best. So they must have got an announcement or an emissary who came saying, oh, listen, Krishna is coming back. So all of these people have already made these preparations for him. So they must have been in a frenzy getting all of the things ready for his arrival, for his, for his return. The highways, subways, lanes, markets and public meeting places are all thoroughly cleansed and then moistened with scented water. And to welcome the Lord, fruits, flowers and unbroken seeds were strewn everywhere. In each and every door of the residential houses, auspicious things like curd, unbroken fruits, sugarcane and full water pots with articles for worship, incense and candles were all displayed. On hearing that most dear Krishna was approaching Dwarkadham, magnanimous Vasudev, Akrura, Ugrasen, Balaram, the superhumanly powerful, Pradyumna, Charudsena and Samba, the son of Jambavati, Jambavati, all extremely happy, abandoned, resting, sitting and dining. They hastened towards the Lord on chariots with Brahmanas bearing flowers. Before them were elephants, emblems of good fortune, conch shells and bugles were sounded and Vedic hymns were chanted. Thus they offered their respects which were saturated with affection. At the same time, many hundreds of well-known prostitutes, now listen to this, at the same time, many hundreds of well-known prostitutes began to proceed on various vehicles. They were all very eager to meet the Lord and their beautiful faces were decorated with dazzling earrings which enhance the beauty of their foreheads. Now this is something that I think we touched upon on Friday. And back in the day, remember Kama Sutra is, is part of the Vedanta Sutra. It's one of our scriptures. And uh, of course it's read for different purposes, different meanings and so on and so forth. But the whole intention of the Kama Sutra is to teach people sex, to teach people what are the ergogenous zones, what, what a man likes, what a woman likes, how to treat a man, how to, how to please a woman and so on and so forth. Now they had something known as Nagar Vadhu. Nagar Vadhu was basically the wife of the tongue. What this actually meant is that she was a prostitute. She had a hankering for sex. She had physical needs that uh, were much more than normal, let's say, women. And there are men who actually want uh, to have this kind of affection and attraction 
towards women like this. So it was not taboo. But the way it was done was very, very cultured and very dignified. They were not treated as outcasts. They were not ostracized from society. Or society embraced them. Now, if you see here, the well-known prostitutes began to proceed on various vehicles. What does this mean? That they are allowed to be part of a public procession that is going to welcome the Lord. Now, the way they were maintained is that the city actually maintained them. They didn't have to scrounge for a living. They had complete rights to reject somebody's affections. So this is how it was. They were completely taken care of because the city realized, the administrators realized that this is something that is possible. It goes on. So rather than put it behind closed doors, just bring it out in the open. Because when something's out in the open, it, it, it ceases to be taboo. It ceases to be, so these women will never be exploited because they were taken care of. Their, their needs were taken care of. Uh, so the city, city took care of them and these rich patrons who would, let's say, visit these prostitutes, they were very generous. They gave them gold, jewelry, money, whatever their needs were, were taken care of. So it was a different way of approaching this whole thing. They were all very eager to meet the Lord and their beautiful faces were decorated with dazzling earrings, earrings which enhanced the beauty of their foreheads. Expert dramatists, artists, dancers, singers, historians, genealogists and learned speakers all gave their respective contributions, being inspired by the superhuman pastimes of the Lord. Thus, they proceeded on and on. Lord Krishna, the personality of God, had approached them and offered due honor and respect to each and every one of the friends, relatives, citizens and all others who came to receive and welcome him. He made no distinctions. The Almighty Lord greeted everyone present by bowing his head, exchanging greetings, embracing, shaking hands, looking and smiling, giving assurances and awarding benedictions even to the lowest in rank. Then the Lord personally entered the city accompanied by elderly relatives and invalid brahmanas with their wives, all offering benedictions and singing the glories of the Lord. Others also praise the glories of the Lord. So now even if you see invalids, invalids also not ostracized. They may be cripples, they may be invalid, but they were given the due respect. And they were in fact given the first entry. Why? Because when there's a mad crowd running, the invalids or the people or crippled will, will lag behind. They might even get trampled. So they were allowed to go on ahead. So these are the small little things that you know you can see as in terms of uh, touches and gestures that kind of take care of uh, people who are in let's say a less than uh, optimal situation, right? When Lord Krishna passed over the public roads, all the ladies from the respectable families of Dwarka went up to the roofs of their palaces just to have a look at the Lord. They considered this to be the greatest festival. The inhabitants of Dwarka were regularly accustomed to look upon the reservoir of all beauty, the infallible Lord, yet they were never satisfied. The Lord's chest is the abode of the goddess of fortune. His moon-like moon face is the drinking vessel for eyes which hanker. After all that is beautiful, his arms are the resting places for the administrative demigods. 
and his lotus feet are the refuge of poor, pure devotees who never talk or sing of any subject except his lordship. As the lord passed along the public road of Dwarka, his head was protected from the sunshine by a white umbrella. Why white? Because it reflects, it repels the sun. It absorbs less heat. So, fine amount of detail that goes into how he was being greeted. White feathered fans moved in semicircles and showers of flowers fell upon the road. His yellow garments and garlands of flowers made it appear as if a dark cloud was surrounded simultaneously by sun, moon, lightning and rainbows. After entering the house of his father, he was embraced by the mother's present and the Lord offered his obeisances unto them by placing his head at their feet. The mothers were headed, mothers were headed by Devaki, his real mother. Not Yashoda. Yashoda is in Vrindavan. Devaki is his real mother for Matra. The mothers, after embracing their son, sat him on their laps. Due to pure affection, milk sprang from their breasts. And we talked about cows. The cows were so happy that they gave milk on their own. They didn't need to have their, you know, udders touched for them to give. They didn't need to be titillated to give milk. They just gave milk on their own. And here it says the same thing. Due to affection, milk sprang from their breasts. They were overwhelmed with delight and tears from their eyes wetted the Lord. Thereafter, the Lord entered his palaces, which were perfect to the fullest extent. His wives lived in them and they numbered over 16,000. Now this blows even my mind, to be quite honest. I just take it at face value. 16,000 wives. And each one of them had Krishna personally. So does this mean that he expanded himself 16,000 times? Food for thought. Don't know how it worked. It's like a mystical and a very mystic kind of a thing. The queens of Lord Krishna rejoiced with their minds to see their husband home after a prolonged period abroad. The queens got up at once from their seats and meditations. As was socially customary, they covered their faces shyly and looked about coyly. They're still, I mean, it's their lord and master. They spend all the time with him, but they're still shy. They cover their faces. The insuperable ecstasy was so strong that the queens who were first were shy first embraced the lord in the innermost recesses of their hearts, not physically, in their hearts. They then embraced him visually by their eyes. And then they sent their sons to embrace him which is equal to personal embracing. Because in public, they, could not, they, they were shy to embrace Krishna. So by extension, they would send their kids to embrace Krishna, which is as good as them embracing Krishna. But, O chief amongst the Bhrigus, though they tried to restrain their feelings, they inadvertently shed tears. They just couldn't help themselves. Although Lord Shri Krishna was constantly by their sides as well as, as, well as exclusively alone, his feet appeared to them to be newer and newer. The goddess of fortune, although by nature always restless and moving, could not quit the Lord's feet. So what woman can be detached from those feet having once taken shelter of them? The Lord was pacified after killing those kings who were burdensome to the earth. So why did they get killed? Now this is really giving... They aligned themselves to wrong forces because they were a burden to the earth. So it was association. So they associated themselves with uh, uh, Duryodhana. So they were rid, the earth was rid of those people. And also the other, the other explanation that we read is that these people had become so powerful 
that their energy and their potency was actually overburdening the earth. And because they were so powerful, they could not be taken away. It was only Krishna who had to come and play this whole game of having this war where he had his lieutenants and Arjun and everybody else kill those people. So he rid the earth of that burden. He simply created hostility between the powerful administrators and they fought amongst themselves. He was like the wind which causes friction between bamboos and so sparks a fire. That Supreme Personality of Godhead Shri Krishna out of his causeless mercy appeared on this planet by his internal potency and enjoyed himself amongst competent women as if he were engaging in mundane affairs. So this whole Ras Leela thing is, you know, I talk, talked about earlier. It's so misconstrued, it's so badly ill-conceived in terms of people's uh, conception of it that they don't understand what it really is. It's actually a very pure thing, but it appears very mundane. Although the queen's beautiful smiles and furtive glances were all spotless and exciting, and although they could conquer Cupid himself by making him give up his bow in frustration, and although even the tolerant Shiva could fall victim to them, still, despite all their magical feats and attractions, they could not agitate the senses of the Lord. He was equipoised in every single circumstance. The common materialistic conditioned souls speculate that the Lord is one of them. I am God. I am a part and parcel of God, therefore I am God. They don't understand that distinction. Out of their ignorance, they think that the Lord is affected by matter although he is unattached. This is the divinity of the personality of Godhead. He is not affected by the qualities of men, material nature even though he is in constant contact with them. Similarly, the devotees who have taken shelter of the Lord do not become influenced by the material qualities. The simple and delicate women truly thought that Lord Sri Krishna, their beloved husband, followed them and was dominate, dominated by them. He let them feel that way. That you are the boss and this is what a wise man does in his house. He, in fact, if he wants perfect harmony at home, he, you know, there's the Americans have this saying, you know, that I wear, uh, sorry, I wear the pants in this house and I have my wife's permission to say so. So, you know, that's a common thing. I wear the pants in the house means I control everything, right? He says, I wear the pants in the house, but I have my wife's permission. So this goes back. So Krishna does the same thing. He lets them believe that he's controlled by them, that he's following them. It's quite the opposite actually. They were unaware of the extent of the glories of their husband as the atheists are unaware of him as the supreme controller. 